just follow my own guidance about my rhythm and how much I should work and what days I should work. And it's an experiment. It's like an art piece. I just create it and people come because there's a level of consistency there. But I'm also like more interested in my experience as a practitioner being authentic for me. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I had the opportunity to spend some extended time in Taiwan and China learning medicine. That would not have happened had my first marriage hung together. I've had issues with my lungs since I was a kid. Chinese medicine is the thing that helped me more than anything else, and it's also given me the opportunity to do something meaningful and creative with my life. And you're listening to this today because I'm involved with a podcast that seems to provide a service to our profession. That wouldn't have happened had I not found myself living in St. Louis, far from the support of my Chinese medicine community of practitioners in Seattle. You may have experienced this yourself. Something happens in your life, and the first response is, what a disaster. This is terrible, or what a mess. Maybe it's just that feeling of dread, as the path you'd hoped would unfold vanishes into oblivion. And yet, if you look back at some of these moments, you'll think, wow. What a lucky break I had. It can be hard to recognize a lucky break when it occurs, because when it first arrives, you feel broken. It's impossible from that moment to see how the new path you've so rudely had your feet set down on will take you to a place of appreciation, gratitude, and opportunity. It's not hard to feel gratitude for the people, relationships, and things in our lives that bring us joy, connection, contentment, and love. It's much harder to appreciate the moments that bring disruption and discomfort. You have to be awake to both pain and love. It takes a big stretch of heart to be able to embrace with appreciation and gratitude all that streams through our lives. The bitter and the sweet, loss and gain, contentment and soul-boiling frustration, finding gratitude for the lessons learned from defeat, gratitude for those who have troubled our lives and given us the opportunity to learn boundaries and forgiveness, those who belittled us so we learned to stand more firmly on our own two feet, and those who would willingly have put us out of this world because we're different. And so we, in turn, have an opportunity to learn how to listen to others different from ourselves with a more open ear and an open heart. Gratitude might seem soft. It's not. It can be furious as a tornado that busts us out of complacency. Hard is the legal pronouncement that doesn't go in your favor. And it's as elusive as a magician's sleigh of hand when you think you've actually got a handle on this dance of life. 360-degree gratitude isn't easy, but it's an invitation to a more nuanced story. And a reminder that just because a situation doesn't feel good in the moment, that it might not hold the seeds of joy, contentment, and transformation. We were told in school that there's no yin without yang. But do you know this in the marrow of your bones? Living willingly into the wholeness of our existence is indeed not for the faint of heart. Developing an appreciation for all the moments of this life might change some of your fundamental stances toward the world. It's a practice that you're sure to fail at a lot. Seems to me most worthwhile practices are like this. I've got something I'm delighted to share with you here today, and it began in some ways with a problem that I had a decade ago. 
10 years ago, I blew up my clinic's website. I mean, I blew it to smithereens. I had just moved to St. Louis, and I didn't know anyone here who could help, except for Uncle Google, who, after I typed help for blown up WordPress website into the magic search bar, it gave me several 10,000 hits for possible assistance on the problem that I just created by thoughtlessly pressing the enter key. The first was a website called WordPress Dude. Great, I thought. Some high school kid who probably knows his stuff, but do I really want to put my clinic website in the hands of a high school kid? Well, it turns out that WordPress dude was a 40-something-year-old guy in Britain who gave the heave-ho to his corporate job and set out on an entrepreneurial path. Over the years, Neil Matthews, a.k.a. WordPress dude, has pulled my bacon out of the fire more than once. And beyond that, he's helped me with various website development projects and become a friend as we both puzzle out how to make a living as entrepreneurs who give a damn about the work we do and want to create a good livelihood in an ethical way and still have time to enjoy life and be with our families. A deep bow of gratitude to all of you who are part of the geological community. Thank you so much for letting me into your ears and the knowledge and the wisdom of the guests into your practice. In a moment, we're going to be getting into a conversation with three women who... I'm calling the Wisdom Guild. These are longtime practitioners who have engaged the practice of medicine, the practice of business, and they speak eloquently to how our work transforms us in the process of learning how to do it. You're going to hear something of the heart of our medicine in this conversation. All right, friends, let's get into today's conversation, and I hope you all have a warm and enjoyable Thanksgiving. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year. 
and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Meiwei.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code CHEOLOGICAL at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Hey friends, welcome back to Geological. Today is a special show. I don't have one guest, I got three. I've got three practitioners. They've been at it a long time and I'm going to have them introduce themselves in just a moment, but I just want to give you the 35,000 foot view here. We're here today to talk about how you manage a practice in mid-career. You know, we hear a lot about people getting started with a practice, but you don't hear much about how you run the thing after you've been at it for a while, and especially dealing with things like, you know, the problems of success. There's all kinds of issues that come up over the course of practice. And so I've got these long-term practitioners here to talk about that, as well as looking at how do you end a practice? Do you have ideas about retirement? If retirement's in the picture or selling your practice or doing something else? I mean, what, there's a beginning and middle and end to everything. And that includes an acupuncture practice. And so I've got Esther Plattner and Jamile Carol Jones and Laura Christensen with me today. We're going to discuss this stuff. Let's uh, let's start with Laura. Uh, Laura, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us just a little bit about yourself, and and uh, then we'll get started with this. All right. I went to acupuncture school in 1982 in Boston and uh, never wanted to be an acupuncturist. I just went out of intellectual curiosity. And then about 10 years later, somebody heard that I knew something about this and people started asking for help. So now we are how many years later? And um, I've got a big clinic. I've got a fairly busy practice and I teach a little bit at the University of Iowa and have really been starting to look at this question, like, what do I want to be doing? I'm about to turn over the odometer to another birthday with a zero at the end. 
And that really brings into focus this question, what's the next 10 years going to look like for me? And so uh, Michael and I were chatting about that, and that's kind of how I ended up here. Great. I'm so happy to have you here for this. And Jamile. Yes. My name is Njamile Carol Jones, and I am a practitioner in the Washington, D.C. area, specifically Alexandria. I've been in practice almost 20 years. I finished Pacific College in San Diego in 1999. And I, while I would have loved to have stayed on the West Coast, something was calling me back home. And so I've been here working steadily for the past 19 years. I My practice has a OBGYN focus because that's what I enjoy, though I do treat other conditions. I'm a perpetual student, always studying, always trying to keep up with my development so I can really serve my patients. But I... This is a second career for me. So to be talking about Chinese medicine mid-career is weird to me because I worked for about 20 years before that as a producer for National Public Radio. And because of that, I um, have never really wanted to have a huge busy practice. I tend to want to just do what's manageable for me. And so I, I work as a solo practitioner who spends probably more time than a lot of people do with each patient. Great. Thanks, Njimile. And Esther, tell us about yourself. Uh, I am a practitioner of 33 years. And um, when I say that, it makes me kind of shake in my boots because, <laughs> for one thing, the time passing so quickly and the other, this uh, one thing I really love about our field is that the, there's an infinite possibility for learning. And um, that has been my trajectory incorporating a lot of different uh, kinds of studies and styles and different fields of practice. Um, I graduated from ACTCM in 86 and had a practice in San Francisco uh, initially and then came to San Diego fell in love with the ocean and the warm weather, and um, have been here since. My practice, uh, I have a clinic, and I have uh, several other practitioners in here, still going full bore, um, and definitely thinking at 65 how to slow down and um, how to shift into another gear uh, appropriately at this stage of the game. So I'm excited to hear from everybody what they're thoughts are and that uh, together maybe create some new possibilities. Great. Wonderful. This conversation actually began a couple of few years ago. I, I believe Enjamile, you were there. Laura, you were there. We were all taking a class together in Boulder and sitting around a table and, and reflecting on turning zero type ages. And, and, and that's really what planted the seed for me about, oh man, I've just been working for you know, a long time now, just getting my practice going where it is, but it, you know, it has momentum at this point. It's got wheels on it. And, and then the question was, yeah, do we keep doing this for 10 years? Do we do this for 20 years? How, how is 10 years different than 
or how should I say it like this? How's the next 10 years different than the previous 10 years? These kinds of things were in my mind as well. So um, we're going to get to all, we're going to get to the later side in a minute. But what I'd like to start with is navigating the practice in mid-career. You know, I, I know that when I first started out, my thought was, oh, well, a busy practice is a successful practice. And one of the things that I discovered somewhere along the way is that busy doesn't necessarily mean successful. Busy might just mean busy. And successful might be something like, Njamili, you were talking about where you've got the right sized practice. You got a practice that fits you. I'm, I'm curious to know, and I'd like to hear from each of you, your idea of what makes for a successful acupuncture practice. Uh, yeah, I remember that day we talked about this and we've talked about it many times since. And a lot of reading, looking around, taking classes, thinking, I need to make my practice like this person suggests. I like to make, make it do this with it. And I um, also lately have been paying attention to the many, many experienced practitioners and less experienced practitioners who are teaching about practice building. And none of it speaks directly to me about success as clearly as my own aging process has. Because for me, um, not only 20 years in this practice, but growth over 20 years since I started, I've have come to rely much more with much more trust in my own inner voice. And my inner voice is saying something a lot different from all the things I was reading and listening to about practice building. So when I tried to do all these things following these guidelines that came to me externally, I wasn't happy. I wasn't even really as successful as when I um, just follow my own guidance about my rhythm and how much I should work and what days I should work. And it's an experiment. It's like an art piece. I just create it and people come because there's a level of consistency there. But I'm also like more interested in my experience as a practitioner being authentic for me. So I may not have the volume, but I have the time, I have volume to be able to earn a living, and I have the time to really interact with my patients one-on-one -on -one in the treatment room, as well as, you know, when they have questions, and not feel like the practice is taking over my whole life. I do have to remind myself that there are other aspects of living, and not just this work, but um, I still have time to study my curiosity about this medicine and growing as a practitioner is stronger every day as well as my interest in growing as a human being, as an African-American woman in, a, um, in this time in the 21st century. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's for me, it's very, very determined by my what feels real for me and appropriate for me and i don't see that a lot but that's what works for me like you completely lean on your heart for this 
in getting guidance and where to go, how to unfold this thing that you call your practice. You're such a good listener. You heard that. Uh, I appreciate you citing that. And it reminded me of a teacher I had at PCOM in my last year or maybe third year who told me, you have all the intellectual capacity you need, but you're not tuned into your heart. And I didn't know what the heck she was talking about. But it did turn out to be true. Yeah. Well, here and here you are. Here you are doing that work right now. Yeah. Thank you. That's thank you. That, that's wonderful. Esther, what about you? I have tailored my practice similarly to suit my my own flow of energy, my um, absolute delight in being with people, which for me happens at a pretty slow pace. So, though my practice is the capacity that I've allowed it, I I take people at um, every hour and 15 minutes. I've tried to do it otherwise. It just wasn't fun. So I decided not to do that. So for me, the there, there are a lot of treasures that happen by leading a practice from your heart, from your own internal rhythms. And really, most importantly, what brings us joy, what interests us, how we um, the gifts each of us have unique gifts, and um, as we embrace those and we do our practice from the place of the who authentic who of who we are, then I think we also get to attract people that um, enjoy that and where it's a good match. So um, I have to say I'm I'm a little I'm at this point working more than my energy capacity, so I'm working on tempering that down and honestly holding, holding a practice for my two beautiful children, my son and his wife, and they are in acupuncture school. Uh, for the first time, I felt like I, I will be able to happily pass my practice on. Um, so in the meantime, I'm working out this, you know, the, the measure of how much to work, how much to keep this going for them. Um, so my, my success level in that is lacking. <laughs> I, I haven't figured that out quite yet. Uh, it's a matter of time. And yet I, I realize that to be really, to have a successful practice really does demand that we do self-care, that we are in the kind of uh, place and condition to meet our, our clients with wholeheartedly and with full presence. And um, I'm a little stretched on the end of my days, so I'm tailoring, I'm working on that piece of it and uh, loving to discuss with everybody that part too. Uh, I, I do have to say that I've, I've always led my practice in a, maybe an unconditional way. I, you know, I finally made a website. I'm like, ooh, that is so cool. I'm, I'm really with it. And then my webmaster disappeared together with my website and um, even though I think it's a really fantastic idea, I, you know, I kind of smiled at my, to myself because I'm such a non-techie and so far it hasn't impacted any ups or downs or ins or outs of my practice. So, um, yeah, just a leading really from, from like Njameli said, from, from heart and from soul and uh, learning to learn better about my, equal my practice to my energy capacity. Mm. So that's where I am. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it seems that one of the challenges in mid-career, as I'm going to call it, 
is recognizing the energy we have. It is different than it was 20 years ago. And the challenges are different now than it was 20 years ago. And, and a big piece of it is if our energy is not up to it, I mean, the thing, I mean, we're the gasoline of our practice. And so, you know, having that attentiveness, knowing the pace that works for us, you know, knowing that we're working from a place of joy. It's like, I do this because I, I get something from the encounter. Esther, I hear you talk about, I've got an hour and 15 minutes because that's the pace that allows you to sustain what you're doing. I think it's such a useful thing to look at. What's the right pace for me? You know, I, I know that, you know, a lot of the things I've seen in the past about practice building is like, well, what are your expenses and what do you need to bring in? And so how much time can you afford to give a patient as opposed to how much time do you need to make this thing work out? You know, those are such different points of view. Laura, what about you? Well, I'm lucky that I get to go last because I get to do a lot of thinking, but of course now I have a million things to say. You know, there are there are two or three domains that I'm currently concerned about. One of them is that I went through cancer treatment this past summer. And it was not a surprise. Um, I have the BRCA gene. My mother had had breast cancer twice. And so I was being closely monitored. And uh, we found this little tiny mass very early. I had a lumpectomy and radiation. And I had a little bit of other surgery. And so I was really mm. hit with a big, uh, I, I wouldn't call it a wake-up call, more of a slowdown call. <laughs> And I spent a lot of time this summer doing Sudoku puzzles. I was doing three or four a day and just really being still and pulled my mind out of those questions that we usually are asking ourselves all day, every day when running a, a business like this. And that was very helpful. And the other thing that I did this year was I took a cruise to Alaska and um, of course, everybody said, oh, wasn't it great? What did you do? Da, da, da. My very favorite part of the cruise was cruising through the night, going northward into the Arctic for about 36 hours into the fog and the quiet. And I recognized this profound need for stillness that I have somehow not been getting met. And that was very, very helpful. Um, I, I have a meditation practice and have since 1975. I have a, an active spiritual community. I nourish myself by singing. This is one of my most important spiritual practices and, and revitalization activities. But I noticed that this balance now between stillness and activity has come into focus and um, becomes something now that really obviously is time for me to attend to. Because everything else, you know, all the details of running a complex business, I have a rather large clinic with a number of practitioners and, and I tend to attract um, fairly complex patients who don't understand their problems and often who have um, multiple medical issues. And so, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in the noise of all of these concerns. So being sure to have that balance, I think has become 
something that's more in my face, you might say. And that's really interesting. So I remember a book that was written many years ago called Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow. Yeah, that was kind of a groundbreaking book. And what I'm hearing from Esther and and Jamile is really that, that they have both been doing something they truly love and that nourishes them so much. And I feel the same. I am so deeply nourished by the work that I do, and in particular, the relationships that I have with a patient. I walked into the office yesterday very upset about something, and my secretary and I were talking, and I was trying to kind of let it all go. And she said, I'm worried you're going to take this into the treatment room with you. And I said, no, it's being in the treatment room that makes that all disappear. And that's such a tremendous gift that we have, that when we're in the presence of our client, we're just entirely focused on that relationship and that exchange. And it's it's just such a precious um, and, and revitalizing activity for me. It's so nourishing. And so these days, that's kind of where my searchlight is looking, trying to keep the balance between running a complicated business and continuing to note the nourishment that I get from my work. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. You know, I, I'm hearing a common theme here with all of you in that there's this aspect that we give ourselves to this work with a lot of heart and a lot of intellect and energy and skill and study and all, you know, all the things that we do. Running a business by itself is already a, a big thing. It's not a small thing. And then the other piece is letting that practice give back something to us. Uh, Laura, I have a, a similar experience. I've noticed this over the years where I could be having a really awful day. I mean, really feel like my life is just like a big mess and off the rails. But for some reason, when I walk in the treatment room, I am able to leave it at the door. I mean, it's waiting for me when I get back out. But in the treatment room, it feels like a respite. I have a, a friend 
that I went to acupuncture school with. And, and she refers to this as the sacred space of clinic. And, and I don't use the word sacred in, in any light way here. I mean, it's not a word that you would really hear me use very often. I think that there is something about how we shift our own heart, mind, sense of whatever it is to be present that, that creates an invitation for patients. And then something else happens. I mean, within the treatment, there's, there's the needles that we do and all that. But it really seems like there's something else going on here. Have you guys got any thoughts about that? I do. I, I experienced that too. And it's it feels like just the greatest gift for me of this work. And it reinforces my commitment to be available for that experience for patients and um, to be present. And I do agree with you. And I've had other teachers talk about the sacred space we create. And it's a wonderful thing when a total stranger is willing to join me in that space for an hour. It's, it's like feeds me. Um, but I also, when I haven't paid enough attention to myself and I'll find my fatigue, even though, you know, when you open the treatment room door, all that stuff stays outside the door. Well, sometimes for me, if I push myself too hard, those that little, those little nagging problems slip in with me. And that's when I have to notice, oh, I'm not being present here. But also it reminds me that I'm not perfect and I, each day is a learning experience for me, being with people and trying to help. But yeah, there's just nothing like it. And for me, when I stopped producing for NPR, that's the one common denominator I experienced with both work because I loved that work. It was very hard for me to transition. When I got into PCOM, and even when I graduated, I still referred to myself as a producer, audio producer. And it took me a long time to, to drop that role. But the one thing is when I would interview people, it's like we had a direct exchange and I could focus my attention on them and listen to what they were sharing with me and interact with that and then take that information and try to do something helpful for them and for others with it. And I find that same experience in the treatment room with patients. You still have the same job, Njamile? Not quite. Not quite. But, but, but there, there's a similarity. I think it's really interesting that sometimes we've got things from our past. There's things that we've done. There's people that we've been. And even when you do a career change, it's not like there's a, a wall that comes down and, and you leave it all behind. There's there's pieces that still come forward. Well, you, I don't know if you all know this, but I used to be a psychotherapist. I thought you were yeah. just psycho. Yeah, for sure. That that was my, my profession in between. So similar to NJ. I love the... Um... I love that everybody is reflecting that piece that we really get to do and bring both of our experience of our past and then enter into a space. I think it really is sacred. There's a certain grace that happens as we give ourselves to the, the opportunity to support people along the way. I think 
I find the same. And when I come into my clinic, uh, my everything gets elevated. I set up the clinic. The name of my clinic is Inner Spring Center for Health. And so the idea was that when people walk in the door, that they come off the street and they come to an inner spring where they can rejuvenate and relax. And people do comment that about that when they walk in the door. So I feel like in a way, uh, the space also holds that. So there's energy in the space that has been happening and set up um, that really supports my ability to come in and, and go, okay, this is where I am. I am present for my clients and this is what I'm doing. So it's, it makes it joyous <laughs> and our because spaces do being get in the marinated. present moment is joyous. Right. They get it. They get this patina. Yeah. The, totally. Right. I depend on my space for that. Yeah. I'm so grateful that uh, there's work being done without me doing anything <laughs> that inherent in someone walking in, they already know that something's going to happen here that most likely is going to feel really good. <laughs> so they're already set for that. The space holds that. And for a lot of people, that space is their only time to receive attention from someone that they don't have to fight to receive. And it's a, a real gift to a lot of them. And I'm really noticing when I treat um, women who are young enough to be my daughters probably be around that age. And just um, the gift of being able to share space with someone who's not my daughter, but, you know, that I would have to remember that they don't quite have the same life experience and that there's so much more they have to discover. It makes me be a lot more patient sometimes with some of the questions I receive because if I wasn't being present, I would say, don't you already know that <laughs> from my perspective? But then when I realized they're on their own path and a newly adult and trying to figure out what it means to be independent, but still want to be somebody else's parent and trying to have faith in their process of regaining their health. And there's a lot that they're just discovering. And in that, there's a lot that they teach me. Michael, there's a subject that I dare bring up. Can I bring it yeah, up? Yeah, let it roll. Well, one of the challenges for me in mid-career is that about every year, we've got two or three more acupuncturists moving into our community. Um, I live in a town of 85,000 people in Iowa, and we now have 13 acupuncturists and this is something that concerns me because it wasn't that long ago that I was the only one. And, you know, it's, it just really changes my feeling about uh, my own work and the community. And, and honestly, I, I start to have some fear about how, how I can compete in the marketing place. And that has caused me to seek just recently a much more ambitious uh, internet presence, a much more focused and um, carefully designed, I hate to use the word, marketing. 
And so, so, you know, it finally brought me to the point of saying, okay, I got to have a, an absolute drop dead gorgeous website with multi-platform social media posting and that, 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 and I've got to have a, a person taking care of this for me who is a, a pro so that I don't have to dink around with it or worry about it or, or anything like that. And I recognize right away you know, you might call it the error of my thinking, because I really know that my business grows because of who I am and the relationships that I have with patients. But I also see that in this changing time, having an internet presence that is that communicates the exact energy that you want is is important. I, I think you're spot on with that. And I, I mean, I've got a pretty good website that's been dialed in for a while. It's beautiful, Michael. And, and I also think it's really important, you know, like we we're just talking about the way, the way that we are and how we are and the way our clinic is, all these things are important. And yes, we also need to pay attention to the changing environment, like in your case, uh, you know, more competition coming to town. And, and so it's another way to be found. I recently, I always ask people, how did you hear about my practice? And I've been a little concerned lately because I've had way more people coming in because they found me on Google and they read my reviews. Now, I suspect a lot of people are thinking, why is that a problem? Well, for me, that's a problem because I want my practice built more on word of mouth and even though I've got pretty good reviews out there, I find it a little bit onerous because people come in, they're like, oh, yeah, I found you on Google and you're the man. No pressure here. Because you want it to be their decision to come to see you, not something they read on Google. You don't want them. You want them to want to be there. Well, it's. I mean, I'm happy for them to come in for whatever reason they're coming in for. It, it's just... You know, even though I've got a podcast, even though I've got a website, I'm kind of a techie guy. There's this part of me that scratches my head over, oh my God, you read reviews by people that you don't know and you're basing your decision on That's that? 21st How the century. hell does that 21st work? Century. That's 21st century. Now, you know, again, we're here to talk about mid-career and maybe late career. You know, I am not a digital native. I am, you know, of that era where you relied on people that you actually knew to help navigate you into finding practitioners that might be helpful. So it, it, for me, the issue is it just might be age and, and that I'm, uh, you know, I'm living in a different world, literally. But, you know, all that being said, I think it is super important to have a, a good internet presence. Um, when it comes to marketing, I think marketing is just skillful communication. I really do because, I mean, we've all had it, bad experiences of being marketed to, and we remember those. But it, but I think we've also all had fantastic experiences of being marketed to. Except, it doesn't feel like marketing; it feels like help. And and this is, and this is one way to differentiate these things. I think is is helpful. You, I think you can have a, a website that is really generous, right? To be informative and honest about who you are and what you have to offer. And that is helpful. 
I mean, I don't have a website now, but um, I, I really do see the value. And I think we, we, we can probably run a practice however we want. Actually, I think we can live life however we want. I totally what, agree. Yeah, deciding what's important to you, how you want to focus. Personally, uh, I'm uh, honestly, I'm waiting for my my kids to to when they're on board. I'm sure they can make a website. Uh, I plan on passing my practice to them and letting them take the ball and they can tech away if they want to. <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm 65. And honestly, I am no longer ambitious. Like I, I love my practice. I appreciate that it has enough momentum to keep it going. Um, and I, I think every age that we're in, if we look at even yin yang, wuxing, you know, we, the, that season of our life provokes different things put together with the who of who we are. And honestly, I think we can shape life however we want it to be. Um, as long as we're in integrity and we're, we're really being led by our heart and our, our true authenticity, then yeah, we can, we can make it happen the way that we believe it can happen. So I don't think that I, I agree that the terrain has changed and um, there is there is something to be said about understanding that. Um, and at maybe the last quarter of my practice, it's like, uh, yes, I, I will I will have a website when that becomes easy to do and it doesn't it's not a full on. And for drag you it's not me. it's not a necessity at this point. You have moments. Really the wheels are on. So this yeah. leads me to another question I've got, which may sound kind of funny, but I'd like to go into for a moment the problems of success, right? Because when you start to get things yeah. working well, it's not like your problems go away. You right. get a whole new set of them. Willingness to say no to some opportunities. Um, willingness to recognize when I need to stop and make time for me and not feel guilty about it. Um, willingness to ask for help. These are all things that I'm currently focusing on. <laughs> and I wouldn't say that if um, a practitioner with several treatment rooms and high volume clinic looked at my practice they would see it as successful. But for me, and it, it, it's at a good pace. And there have been times when it's been slower and I start to wonder, well, who else is in the neighborhood? Where are these people going? But, and I research it and everything, but I always, always, after 20 years of this, have to come back to what's going on with me. And it's always something I need to tune into with myself. And then, boom, you know, the I start, my schedule starts filling up again. So for me, that's a measure of success because um, I recognize that there's a process that I need to go through in order to kind of keep things open, to keep the pipelines open between me and people who might be looking for me. I have a, a, a problem with success, and that is that uh, my phone will ring all day, every day. And I need to have front desk staff who are professional, mature, um, able to manage demanding and confused and con worried patients 
And also I need front desk staff who can sort of protect me from the outside world. You know, we've got people selling things all day and sometimes strangers walking in the clinic who are lost. And um, I have to have staff who really treat this practice as owners and are willing to really be completely dedicated to it. And that has been challenging. We've had uh, a number of front desk people come and go this summer and thankfully, I've just found a wonderful, mature, retired healthcare professional to be a part-time front desk person for me. And that has just been such a blessing and such a relief. That's good, because that is very hard to that the first person who a prospective patient encounters feels a sense of ownership that for the business and for attracting people. And welcoming mm-hmm. them yeah. and answering their questions and even the nuances of scheduling. How you do the oh, scheduling. That's huge. Say so I consider my front desk person, uh, she's an angel and she is the first layer of treatment. So when the person comes in, they meet her and she she is part of their treatment. The way that she interacts with them, the way that she gives them care. And really, if it without her. And now I have um, actually my daughter-in-law in the office too. Um, I, I think that taking that, having someone to be that front line and also meet people with the graciousness that we want to give our clients is huge. So yay, Laura, that, that is so good that you found someone that really meets that criteria for you. Well, you know, I've had probably 12 people over the years. And what I've learned is that older women, I hate to say it, are, are really the best match for that job, at least where I live, because they have that sense of nurturing and stability and um, people feel very safe with them. But also sometimes I need an older woman to kind of kick my butt and say, your attitude is not good today, or don't distract yourself with that, or just listen to me when I whine for five minutes. You know, I need to be nurtured by my front desk staff. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI. 2024 to save 10% off Unico needles 
at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. For, for some reason, Laura, I, I had this image. This is totally contradictory in a way, but it's like, you know, boxers and, you know, fighting in a ring and you come back all bloodied and beaten up in your corner and you got yeah. your coach who's like getting you ready to go out for the right. next round. It sounds like your front desk person does that a bit for you as well. Hopefully not quite like that, but yeah. <laughs> or more like your grandmother that you come home and you cry and <laughs> she tells you it's going to be okay. The time um, I worked in a clinic with a grandmother, she was like in her early 70s and there were 12 practitioners. But this woman Ooh. knew all the intricacies of each person that I saw in my practice so that she took special time, special consideration of who to schedule when and how much time each, she had her own ideas and they were always spot on and she cared enough to do that. And I have never met another person or worked with another person. I've worked with a lot of friendly front desk people, but nobody who thought now, how would Angie want to schedule this person? We, that's one of our things, actually. Mm -hmm. Certain I, There are certain patients I don't want to have anybody else in the clinic while they're here. You know, and they, and, and, or people who, oh, we have dogs in the clinic, two greyhounds. So, you know, we, there's certainly people that we need to make sure there are no dogs around when they're here. And yeah, I think that kind of front desk staff is really, um, I don't know, I, I, they're critical to our health. Well, I currently don't have a front desk staff because part of my journey with all this was having a, a larger clinic, three rooms, some other practitioners, you know, nice little part of town, the whole thing. And about three years ago, I decided to simplify and uh, actually found a house that I could just practice out of the bottom portion of. And, uh, and that's allowed in the neighborhood where I live. So it's, it, you know, it's legal and all that good stuff. But I, I really, yeah, I was thinking at the time, do I want to downsize this? I don't like the word downsize, but I was just thinking I want to simplify it. I don't want staff. I just want a space. I, I, I know my flow. I'm just going to see what it's like to have a practice and just run my own flow. And three <laughs> years in, how are you feeling about it after you've started a podcast and Live stream classes. On top of <laughs> well, I, um, I love it. I mean, first of all, the commute is seven steps down. So that's not bad. I enjoy, as you all were talking about earlier, there's a pace that I can run at. It's my pace. My overhead is lower. And so I don't need to see 60 people a week to keep the wheels on this thing. I can see fewer people. I can work at the pace that I want to work at. And it's been really lovely. I've enjoyed the heck out of it. My only concern at this point, well, I mean, there's always concerns, but, but my big concern at this point is that when I go out of town, there's no one to take care of my patients. I travel a fair amount. Uh, you know, increasingly, if I had three rooms, that would be great. I could fill them up. I could do it. And I don't want to work that fast anymore. 
And, and so my concern is, what do I? How do I turn people away in a gracious way? And in St. Louis, y'all listen out there that are thinking, gosh, where can I go to have a good practice? In St. Louis, there's not that many other people to refer to. It's so sometimes I will take on more than I feel like I have the energy to do because there's there's just not other people out to send them to, except maybe a chiropractor who's got 100 hours of training. I'm not doing that. Um, so that, that that's a challenge for me at this point. But being able to recognize I want to take this in a different direction, follow that hunch, let it go. It's been super sweet. You know, I had my office in my home for 11 years. And I moved out about eight years ago because I just needed a more kind of professional space, a more, you know, kind of what people expect type of space. But I'm thinking about moving back home. And uh, it, it's a, it's kind of a big, complicated question, actually, you know. Well, I, I was concerned when I first did this that maybe I had blown up my practice because I thought, oh my God, what if, what if I move into my home and nobody will come see me? Oh, yeah. Right? Well, that hasn't panned out. But I'll, I'll tell you what has panned out. On occasion, somebody will get here and they'll be like, wait, what? I'm in a residential area. What's up? Mm -hmm. It's like, did you read the email that I sent you? No, I didn't read your email. Well, you know, if you had read the email, would have said it. I work out of a home office. I've had a few people that have said, oh, I, I, then I can't come see you. I would not do that. Okay. I had some of those. But here's the thing that I've found. Most people walk in here and they go, wow, this is nice. And, and what's more? I'm not interested in cozying up to the medical model anymore. I, I know there's a lot of people that do integrative practices and, and you know, there's a whole realm of experience for that, which I applaud, but that's not where my heart and interest lies. So having the kind of office that I've got and the space that I've got, it allows me to work at the pace I want to work. It attracts the kind of people that I want to work with and the people that aren't up for this. It's cool. There's, other places where they can go. And, and it's really great because especially, I mean, I've been to your home clinic and it there's, it's nice when people don't have to think about stress they have to endure when they come for their acupuncture treatment. So I work in a clinic that is a space that's shared by other practitioners, but we all work individually. So there's people who work in other disciplines that I can refer to or cross refer. We cross refer a little and we're just a, you know, nice group of people, but the clinic is not in a really busy bustling place. And people always comment about how easy it is to park and how restful it feels when they come in is quieter and all that stuff makes a difference. And for me, it mirrors the pace I want to keep. Exactly. You know, which works for me. Whatever pace, whatever resonance, whatever, as we were talking about in the beginning, if we're really running our practice in a way that is coherent for us, the, the people that we will be able to help the best are going to show up. And, you know, some time ago when I, my practice was, um, I was getting a lot of referrals from people I didn't know, because it naturally that happens in time. And I had two people that came 
that I had difficulty with. And at that point in time, I said, universe, <laughs> please only send me people that I love the minute they walk in the door. If I'm cringing at all, take them away. <laughs> Within a month, they both two were gone. And never again has anybody entered my office door that um, I haven't thoroughly enjoyed, you know, when, especially if I just show up and um, take all my preconceived ideas away and, and um, get really curious. So again, I just, I feel like, of course, we all have fears and change is, can be very disconcerting. And I'm quite certain that if we continue to conduct ourselves from uh, being coherent with ourselves, that it's, it's going to all work out for the best. And uh, I remind myself that too, as I go forward and, and deal with this issue of paring down. Um, I am very fortunate because I now the path has revealed itself in that with my two kids in acupuncture school and I can really yeah, pass. So you've kind of got an forward. exit strategy. I do. I did you not do. five you've years got... ago. Uh-huh. I do now. <laughs> you do now. And yeah. And, and what's really wonderful to me is as, Many times I've tried to integrate another practitioner and the, it just, the fit wasn't right. And these two children are, um, I'm sorry if you're listening to this, I know you're not really children, but you are my children. <laughs> um, they, they're, they're rising stars, you know, in their hearts, in their souls, in their intelligence. So I feel so grateful um, that life has evolved this way and that I will be able to pass my practice to them and slowly move myself out and being the kind souls that they are, they're like, Oh mama, you can come and practice one day a week for the rest of your life. If you want, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you come on, come on the day you feel like it, you know, when I'm, you know, 80 years old, they're like, yeah, sure. You, just, you can come to the clinic for a day. Why not? So, yeah. And they want to continue to learn from you probably, you know, it they is, want it. They want your mentoring. Yeah. You know, I have to say um, it is a mutual mentorship. I learn from them every day. Um, they're inspired. They're in school. Yan Hui, my daughter-in-law is from China and she continues to enlighten me because I do not know Chinese um, of the depth of meaning of many things. And, um, Tyler, my son, he is so curious and awake. Thanks, Tyler. He introduced me to Geological. Um, he just told me about a study. Yes. I mean, thank you sincerely. He just told me about a study the other day that they have now discovered taste buds for oh. bitter in the heart. Mm-hmm. Whoa, right? I saw that. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wouldn't have known that. And, and, and so, you know, this is just an explosion of delight that happens when I, when I hear these things. So there's inspiration there and there's, and there's great love for these two and, and, and a space that really allows me to back out as they move in. But, you know, you're, I appreciate all what you're doing and it makes me think about how if by I don't have adult children with an interest in Chinese medicine, but there are students out there that, you know, at a time when I'm really ready to slow down, maybe I could identify someone. I think that's really important. I have had three different associates in the past, um, 
none of whom stayed with me for a variety of reasons. But one of the things that I learned about myself in that process was that I really need people who want to learn from me because I'm a natural teacher, but also because I know some stuff that is super powerful and wonderful. And if those people are going to be taking on my practice, I'm hoping they can continue to share those tools with my patients and the patients to come. So finding people who are willing to be learners, I think is challenging and really important and important in our profession. Well, I think just in terms of development as well, and I see this as as really a two-sided thing because there's younger practitioners that really would benefit from some of the experience that we've had. And for those of us that have been at it for a while, I mean, I think about this teacher I had in Taiwan. He was 92 when I met him. Um, I felt like I showed up there. I got great benefit from him. He also got a chance to pass some stuff along that otherwise might not have gotten passed along. You know, I think I think part of this mm. process is we move closer to the end of our careers, end of our lives for that matter. Let's just speak it. That the uh, opportunity to give something to the next generation, super important, and it benefits everybody. That exchange is mutually beneficial. Absolutely. The the perch that we sit on at any particular moment in time changes, right? Because we are in transition. The world's in transition. We have our particular uh, trajectory, our, let's say, our astrological trajectory. We have our we have the season of our life. We have the season of the season. And all with all that movement, I think that any particular moment is provides something different. And as we get older, certainly um, offering what we have to give to our youth is is something that oftentimes gets lost. So uh, that that is our position. And again, being a little older and along the way and I have felt that shift in myself to realize that I, it's really, I'm, I'm the elder. My mom's 92. So I'm also, she's returning to needing care. And so the position in life is different and and appreciable. And because I'm at that age, it feels appropriate because I'm in the fall to winterish of my life. I was thinking how it's, really wonderful to be able to embrace that awareness that you are now an elder. I struggle with that a little bit, but I, then when I'm treating women who are, you know, late twenties, early thirties, and they're asking me things, they're asking me for guidance about things. And I've had to kind of step in and own it, that this is a newer stage of life. And getting more comfortable with it and actually just um, feeling more comfortable with myself at this stage. And Well, I think it's especially difficult because at this stage of life, we also feel like somebody just said to me, I feel like I'm 18 in a 60 some odd year old well, body. Well, I think that feeling 18 piece is just something about vitality that we have. You know, I mean, I think that, I think that speaks to a spirit aspect. That you know something that is constantly shining. True, and we have the benefit of this medicine to know how to keep that flame 
going with our Qigong, Tai Chi, or as Esther said, our astrology for guidance, our, and definitely our herbal medicine and acupuncture. And we can, we can continue to work as long as we want to and can. I'm very inspired by a doctor I read about, um, a pediatrician in Atlanta who could have been a real big shot in the hospital system, but she had a child and she wanted to be available at home. So she moved her practice to her home and she saw people one at a time. They came, sat, first come, first serve all day, every day until she was about 103. And then at 103, she started just doing phone cons- consults. But she and but so she saw many generations of families, you know, people who brought their children and their children eventually brought theirs. And she saw the grandkids for years. But and and her family said that's what kept her alive: her love for the medicine, her love for helping these children. Wow. And, she died at 114. Yeah, I'm very inspired by her. <laughs> you know, Chinese medicine practitioners are, you know, often considered long-lived people. You know, it's, uh, I mean, it's not unusual mm. that uh, Chinese doctors live a long life. You know, and they say that conductors of orchestras often live long lives. And there's something about them being up in front of, of the beauty of the music and just, you know, imbibing, you know, the, the moments of an orchestra doing its thing that adds to their longevity. And as we've been speaking today, hearing about how y'all practice and the heart that you bring to it, the way that you allow your practice to be kind of an unfolding of the universe, I can't help but think that this also nourishes us in a way uh, that, that you can't get from supplements, you can maybe get from food, but it's it's the stuff that you get from relationship. Yes, very special. Yeah, being in the flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with all of you. Uh, before we wind it down for today, I just like to hear any one last bit of something that you like to share with the listeners. Well, I'll share that what I'm feeling right now is immense gratitude to be sitting at this point in life with talking with you, having a way to connect with fellow practitioners and the beauty of the heart of y'all and um, basically of our profession. Uh, I'm, I, I truly am enheartened by being part of a community that cares so much and that cares to grow um, in every way that we can. And I'm also immensely grateful for my life and the way it has blossomed. So I, I thank you all for connecting and being so um, present and offering service and offering the truth of who you are. Thank you, Esther. Yes, thank you so much. And I'm as grateful as well, really, um, for this profession, for all the teachers who I'm surrounded by every day, um, and also for the opportunity to just step into a mystery, <laughs> knowing to live in the mystery, knowing 
I have tools, I have colleagues and friends and fellow travelers, and I'm not doing it alone. But I was thinking about when we were talking about longevity, how there's teachers and friends we've lost who did not have that longevity. And it's all a mystery, but we have so much to bring to each day and so much to get us through the day and so much that comes back to us that we can't even, more than we can even imagine sometimes and what a gift that is. And it's just wonderful to be able to share it with you all. Thank you. And I want to say I am so happy for having the opportunity to have this conversation today because the timing was absolutely perfect. It's something that's been on my mind and hearing the two of you, the three of you share has really uh, brought me in into a wonderful feeling of new horizons and new opportunities and resources and, and, and appreciating um, the wealth of experience and, and love from our fellow practitioners. It's, it's just been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Well, I'm very appreciative of y'all making the time today. Whenever I sit down to have one of these podcast conversations, I never know what's going to happen. I mean, I've got an idea. I used to start off with a list of questions and now I just start off with an idea or two and just see what happens. And to hear what has unfolded here today and to feel the, um, I don't even have a word for it. I think NJ called it mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much that happens in this work that we do that helps other people. It also really helps us. And so deeply grateful for all of you sharing this today. I look forward to seeing how the rest of the day and the week unfolds with, uh, just the kind of energy that we've stirred up here. I hope that y'all listening have enjoyed this. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.